Welcome to Recovering My Inner Child. My name is Kawan Saluja. Our first reading comes from Touchstones, Daily Meditations for Men. Our job gives us, most of us, a clear role. Although we may feel relatively lost at home, we know who we are and what to do at work. Most men have become well adapted to the workday world. Even if our jobs seem like drudgery, they provide us with a place and a routine which define us. Many of us have welcomed the end of a weekend or a vacation because we could go back to our jobs and definite roles. This situation has many drawbacks. For one thing, if we're out of work, we may feel adrift. Furthermore, if we have defined ourselves only as breadwinners, we have probably missed the benefits of closeness in our families. Some of us may have even said, I feel like I'm nothing but a meal ticket. A good job does have value, but we can also grow by giving more of ourselves in our less clear rules at home. It is healing to just hang around with our family and friends and to simply let relationships develop. The personal, familiar relationships that don't depend on jobs and roles lets us be comfortably human. I am thankful for the humanizing effect of my relationships at home. The next reading comes to from Melody Beatty's The Language of Letting Go, and one of my favorite readings. Back to the steps. Go back to the steps. Go back to a step. When we don't know what to do next, when we feel confused, upset, distraught, at the end of a rope, overwhelmed, full of self-will, rage or despair, go back to the steps. No matter what situation we are facing, working a step will help. Focus on one, trust your instincts, and work it. What does it mean to work a step? Think about it. Meditate on it. Instead of focusing on the confusion, the problems, or the situation causing our despair or rage, focus on the step. Think about how that step might apply. Hold on to it. Hang on as tightly as we hang on to our confusion of the problem. The steps are a solution. They work. We can trust them to work. We can trust where the steps will lead us. When we don't know what step to take next, take one of the 12. Today, I will concentrate on using the 12 steps to solve problems and keep me in balance and harmony. I will work a step to the best of my ability. I will learn to trust the steps and rely on them instead of on my protective codependent behaviors. The next passage comes from Strengthening My Recovery, Incest. Some incest victims have struggled with forgiving an offending parent or caregiver. Those of us who were sexually abused struggled for years trying to accept what happened to us. Most people told us to shut up about it, or if they were a little more polite, they let us know that we should somehow just get over it. Put it out of our minds. Stop dragging the family down or some other such sentiment. We live with this burden for years. When we're working steps eight and nine, the most important amends we make is to ourselves. We stop trying to push those wounded parts of ourselves down with food, anxiety, stinginess, and pornography. Things that make us feel as if the abuse was either deserved or acceptable in some way. We learn to set boundaries with our perpetrators and those who protected them, including our sisters and brothers who told us they couldn't talk about it. We put ourselves first 
for the first time in our life. We detach with a hatchet if we have to, but we detach. Forgiving our perpetrators, who we can finally view for what they are, may take time, but we will eventually find a way to move forward. Then forgiveness will be easier because we no longer have to pretend that the abuse didn't happen. On this day, I will make amends to myself by putting myself first for the first time. I will also learn to forgive my perpetrators so that I can focus on myself instead of them. Wow. Three very powerful readings. Um, until next time. This and you find yourself doing a U-turn and abandoning that art form, or skipping over to another art form right next to it, so you don't even notice um, what has happened. Um, I'll tell you a story. Um, 1974. Um, in 1972, I wrote a short story called Zeta. And I showed the short story to my best girlfriend, uh, who was a reporter at the Washington Post. And she said, oh, Julia, if you publish this, you'll ruin your career. Well, at the time, I had no career. <laughs> but that didn't stop me from taking her seriously and I put the short story in the bottom drawer and started writing journalism and I was using all my short story skills dialogue, description, setting so I became a very successful journalist uh, and I went on like this. Um, I wrote for Rolling Stone, I worked for uh, New York and the US, uh, and I had sort of a hot career. But my first love had been writing short stories, and I wasn't writing short stories. So it's now 1992, 20 years later, uh, and I'm teaching uh, a little circle, um, and we get to U-turns. And by this point, I had been teaching about 15 years. So you would think I would have unearthed all of my U-turns by now. But we get, the category was writing, uh, and we get to, um, to that category. And all of a sudden, I remembered the short story. So I told the group, well, I did a U-turn on short stories, and for 20 years, I haven't written one. So I, I didn't think anything much about it. I was just sort of disclosing. And then two weeks later, I was driving with my father across Texas. I was driving. He was in the passenger seat with his little black sky dog, Blue. And I heard a voice say, Karen's new life 
began 10 miles west of the Pecos River. That's where she said to Jerry, pull over now. <laughs> well, I went, Dad, <laughs> I think it's a short story. <laughs> you drive. So my father drove and I wrote out the short story. Uh, and when I got back to Taos, where I live, I had 20 short stories in a row come through. And it was as if uh, we were in an airplane, uh, and it, all this happens at the Guardia. All the runways are taken, so they say you have to circle. And you're always scared to run out of gas. Um, but you're circling because there's no available runway. So what happened when I did the U-turn exercise that we're going to do with this class is that I cleared a runway. And the short stories, which had been circling for 20 years, <laughs> had a place to finally land. So um, that became a short story collection called Popcorn Hollywood Stories. So we're going to do U-turns. Uh, we're going to take a look at when we turned, uh, turned around. Uh, and U-turns can happen when you're praised too highly and it gets scary, or when you're criticized unfairly. There are a number of reasons that you may do a U-turn. Um, but what happens, I'm not saying you'll get short story collections, but I am saying that this tool will pay off. Uh, and it may not look like it instantly, uh, but uh, your U-turns will start to be undone. So I'm going to give you categories. Uh, and if you've ever done a U-turn in that category, I want you to jot a little note because you're going to share it in the cluster. So um, we'll start with writing. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to writing? Where you're working along and something happens and you come skidding to a halt or, to, or move over to another art form. I see frowns. Okay, next category. Music. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to music? If so, jot yourself a little note. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to dance or movement? And this you can put yoga in here. A U-turn connected to dance or movement.
you ever done a U-turn connected to film, theater, comedy? Have you ever done a U-turn connected to photography? If so, drop yourself a little note. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to visual arts? Visual arts. Second category, Patricia, what's your second category? Uh, music. music, a tiny action you can take. Well, I'm singing class. 
a tiny action you can take to undo a U-turn around music. So I don't want you trying to devise some gigantic jump. I want it to be teensy, the smallest thing. Third category, Patricia, I'm going to ask Dance. you for categories. Dance and movement. Dance and movement. Including yoga. Including yoga. Okay. A tiny action to undo. A U-turn in dance movement yoga. Fourth category. Film, theater, comedy. Film, theater, comedy. A tiny action. And it can be really tiny. Uh, let's let's say you have chickened out on comedy. You can attend an open mic without the demand that you perform. So it's just having a little peek, a window into the world of the U-turn. Crafts. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to crafts? I, I have this can I have a show of hands on how many people have done a U-turn connected to cooking? Okay, put cooking in there. Photography. Photography. A U-turn connected to photography. The tiny action could be learned to work by iPhone. Next category. Visual arts. Have you ever done a U-turn connected to visual arts? My beaker's going off a little bit, so let me ask. How many people have been a U-turn connected to sewing? Can I see the hands of the U-turn connected to sewing? Okay, that goes under visual arts. Yes, interior design goes under visual arts. Next category. Have you ever been made to feel clumsy? Here you might want to take the affirmation, I am graceful. 
where I am agile. Notice how we're perking up slightly when we're doing these tiny actions to undo them. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a cluster of three sitting with strangers. Uh, and you're going to go a category at a time. So you don't have one person say, this is my tragic life. <laughs> <laughs>
Jesus. So I'm going to spend one minute 
um, making mind maps and table content type stuff. Writing is also my thing that I want to do, and I, I think, um, I can't think of a specific incident or something that made me U-turn, but I think it's just that um, when I was young, like a kid through maybe like high school, it came very naturally, and I was praised a lot for it, and it sort of like built it up in my head, maybe, and um, then I think that I went to college of like schoolwork, like I didn't feel like I had time for that, and then as an adult working, like I, I just haven't made the space for it, but I've always wanted to, and it's kind of become this thing that like, I want to do, but I've also like, afraid to do it, and it feels like, if I'm not writing this, you know, um, amazing novel, it doesn't count. Um, so... Um, and, and as far as you turn in adjacent things, I do. I work in marketing, and I do some writing for my job. The, the job that I have now, like part of the reason I was hired, was for my writing ability. So it's, that's a little bit of like how it's in my life. Like it's business writing. It's not creative. It is creative sometimes, but it's not like the creative writing I used to do. So my tiny action, tiny tiny, is to just take 20 minutes and do like a creative like rewrite on a theme like randomly like open the dictionary and point to a word and like you know even it's like use my imagination write something about it um and then just see maybe I'll start doing it more often or you know that's a tiny action is this personal to me first off I'm going to steal a couple of things but yeah. can I just say one more thing about writing yeah. so I was in a tech career for 20 years and I got a uh, full scholarship to Northwestern uh, uh, Journalism School, so a really good journalism school. And um, I've always been afraid of being criticized and laughed at. So um, I would get a lot of red. Like, you know, in a tech career, you're expected to be odd and anti-social and Like, it's kind of why I chose it. And um, so I didn't like that. And I would complain. I started hating with some of my teachers. And uh, one time I told a friend of mine, this is I, this person is so mean, and he goes, I love my life. He gives me exactly the feedback that I need to, to have, and I'm just letting, so I don't really need to accept that on that. And then I got hired on my consulting project because I have a tech journalism background, and um, I know that they're constantly shocked that, like, oh, this dude did journalism because I'm real sloppy. So it's almost like I go out of my way to just like write poorly so it's not like I need to write use a lot of writing skills and I don't have writing skills I'm a broadcaster that's the only thing writing is just the start um, so I started writing and data visualization in journalism school because uh, I was afraid of losing a video camera and so video and audio is uh, so I have a podcast but again I don't have a YouTube channel doing that is kind of like so I just, I'm sorry to go on about that, but that one is just a huge, and I don't have time to do all these 10 things for the rest of my life, but, yeah, and I think, I think I'm just waiting until I have too much pain or I get sick or, and then I have no choice. Like, I really think that that's what, because I think if you don't do your creative thing, 
everyone would say, oh, she's going to play the piano. My mom repeats that story all the time. So I got the sense that she wanted me to be like a wonderful pianist. And I just, um, at some point, like, I remember taking the piano lessons as a kid, but just at some point it sort of petered out. I remember my piano teacher having me sing and saying that I had a good voice, but I was so embarrassed at having to sing. Um, it was just me and her, she made me like stand in the front of the room and sing. And I just um, never pursued it. I took trumpet lessons for a year, I took flute lessons, or I was in bands like in middle school and high school. But nothing stuck. And as an adult, I've taken drum lessons, actually, like, um, like drum kit, like, you know. And, and, and earlier this year, I even, like, took classes. And it was fun. Um, but I have this very deep appreciation for music just as a listener. And, you know, I like going to shows. And I ended up having a lot of people in my life who are musicians. Um, so I, it's not necessarily so much that I think that I want Although, one thing that is interesting is that subconsciously, a lot of the time in my dreams, I will hear music, like, composed, like, original compositions that I haven't heard anywhere. It's just like, and sometimes the melody stays with me when I wake up, and sometimes I just remember that I heard it, but it's almost like I'm composing in my sleep. So it feels like there's some, some connection there that, like, even if I'm not going to be this great musician, that, like, maybe it should be a part of my
punching, boxing bag to 80s, 80 minutes. So I work out every day, but like I don't let myself have fun. So I like jump, jump reps. So like listen to a cheesy 80s song, don't worry about boxing technique, and I hit the bag, but not like in an egoist way, but just in a movement way. And in a, from the left hand, uh, I'm much more creative when I go non dominant when it's non dominant, but I'm just grateful. So that's what I would do. Thank you. 
grandfather, and grandmother. Um, they show their love by cooking. And again, anything that my parents were good at, my dad's a PhD in chemistry, and my mom's a master's, and my mom's an amazing cook. Anything that they interfered with, it's like show, don't tell. Um, and so I was just like, well, I can't do that. Focus on your studies, focus on your studies. So I think what I want to do is just make really shitty food. I'll start with eggs. I eat them. I get really caught up in, oh, you're wasting food, you're wasting food. It's like, yeah, but that's how I learn. You know, like, who cares? Uh, you know, I live with myself. I don't have a car, so like, I can just buy all my crap with the environment. So just make really shitty food and uh, start with eggs. I didn't get to the cooking thing until the tiny action, so I just heard a tiny action, but I, I've always enjoyed cooking, but it's just about like making the time for it, um, and I do think I'm, I'm good at it, so it, what I want to do, I'm actually taking a cooking class this week, by chance, I had already signed up for one, and I gave my fiance like three years ago uh, a $100 gift card to a culinary institute, and he's never used it, so I'm going to tell him it's inspired, I'm taking it back, and I'm going to use it myself. I love that. Uh, so uh, I think it's very important for me for a craft. Uh, so my action was, what is it called? I really don't even know. So I'm going to just get on the web and just go figure out. I don't even know what it is. I trust her. So I think there's a reason. But I, I really have no idea what a craft is. Um, and uh, so it doesn't it's like there's no reason for me to stop denying that. So I gotta just my thing is just go on Google. I mean I can waste two hours at work tomorrow. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a Monday, give me a break. <laughs> so. I sort of um, mash together like crafts and visual arts and um, and sewing. When she said crafts, I thought of art too. So I never considered myself an an artist, but I love the process of it and sort of the emotional like catharsis that comes from creating. Um, so I want space to do that more. And on the craft thing specifically, I've had this project that I've been saying I was going to do for like 10 years. I've been saying I have like a stool that has like a, you know, a cushion on the seat of it and it's horrible, it's ugly, it's flat, it's completely broken. And I want to, I've even bought the fabric, I want to reupholster it myself. Just take the seat out and like put the padding on it and just sew it together. I have no idea where to begin and I'm so intimidated by beginning it that I have not done it. And um, so my tiny action is I'm going to watch a YouTube video about how to reupholster a seat. And hopefully watching the video will help me. at everything. I know, I can say the most challenging yeah. thing that she said comes to mind. Yeah, but, but exceptional. I've felt that too. Maybe, maybe that's not, um, like in my case, I feel like I have to earn happiness. Like if it's, if it's easy, then it's, I should be, I didn't know what electrical engineering was, and so I chose it. 
I, I, I like statistics, I like journalism. That's why I got hired in Washington Post, and I didn't get hired for work for sure. Uh, photography, uh, just take one picture, uh, taking 30 seconds uh, to do it. Because I just, I don't know what to do, I get really nervous, can't do it, all that crap. And again, a lot of this comes down to animal knowledge, um, so 30 seconds, just a small sign, 30 seconds. And I don't care what it takes, they're not going to be good, just try to take 30 seconds of one Um, my mom actually was a professional photographer. Um, she also was a journalist, and um, you know, she's mostly retired from all that now. But growing up with a professional photographer, like there was a dark room in our house where she would develop the photos. And my parents both, I remember, praised it. They both, I remember them both praising my sister for her photography skills because she has such a good eye, you know. And I'd sort of be like, "What about me?" And they were sort of like. So I felt like it was
need a list, somebody to tell you this. And similarly for me, I need someone in some areas of business. So I just need to look at visualizations that I find interesting. I don't need to read any books anymore. Um, so, like, more here. Um, art's very important to me because um, I think I'm an artist athlete. I think that's relatively well. I think I've just rejected one part of the expensive Sports is actually the only right-brained activity I do. I don't need that right-brained. I'm like, pretty much So, yeah, let's just look at pictures. Yeah. And movement. Um, so for visual arts, again, I, like, I've never really considered myself an artist, but I, I like the, the process of it and how it makes me feel. And I'm, I'm inspired in this area by my grandmother, who is 80. 
Um, so it's, like that, it's been very difficult. Um, I think just do a lot of running. Like, I think my left hand has to be the 80-20 goes to the first. So the critic needs to be I definitely got that feedback as a kid that I was too loud, like before, because I was the oldest of three. And um, so I, I, I liked her idea of doing affirmations and just sort of like accepting myself and, and just trying to be more outgoing. Because I think I overcorrected when I would get that feedback and I became introverted and quiet. So I just want to like, that it's okay and I'm okay. I don't have to hide myself. I want to revert that from here. That's another time. Getcha God? I getcha God? I getcha, getcha, I gotcha. Gotcha. 
I got you, God. Anything else? Judgmental. I think we have judgmental.
Generous. Female. Female. Guiding. Guiding. Full of good surprises. Full of good surprises. Loves to cha-cha. <laughs> Supportive. What else would you like with a creativity bag? What would make you feel safe? Safe. Protective. Let's you know he's listening. I'm missing what over here. Protective. Protective. Benevolent. Benevolent. Has a pretty clothes like within us. Not far. It's close within us. Within mm. Close and within us. <laughs> Has no expectation. Mm -hmm. Has no expectation? Yeah, like I think sometimes in So this is the bad concept of negative traits that we were brought up with, some of us. 
I'd like you to pick from the list at least five traits that you really resonate with. That you think, yes, I like that. So I can read the list again, and you pick five traits you resonate with. And some of you may have more than five, and that's okay, but make sure you do have five. Okay, here we go. Loving, encouraging, artistic, generous, free, inclusive, imminent, empathetic, welcoming, funny, inspiring, female, playful, eccentric, Accepting, unbiased, guiding, full of good surprises, loves to cha-cha, supportive, unconditionally there, helpful, honest, protective, lets you know he's listening. Benevolent, close, within us, 
follow your own light, non-judgmental, tender, forgiving, all intelligent, accessible, healer, peaceful, knows me, loves me, seeker, joyful, patient, intimate. You can find five, maybe more. Okay. We're going to take five minutes now, and I want you to write a letter from you to your creativity God, a God that has the traits you keep God. So uh, it's five minutes, a letter to your creativity God, go.
It's a one-minute note. You should be happy.
So one minute. They can decide love God. Which could be a directive. <laughs> okay. I want you to sit with strangers. I, I want to mix up the way the, some of the back to come to the front, and some of the front to go to the back and mix it up. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 10 minutes, uh, five minutes per person. We're going to read your letters to your partner. Your partner is going to give you popcorn. Popcorn, in this case, is a
Okay, draw a line. Number from one to five. I want you to turn to the partner that has heard your letters and say, Please give me five traits and fill in the blank. So you're going to fill in the five traits for each other. Go. This was really easy to write. This was hard. No traits you see you see in each other. Five traits you see in each other. Creativity. And uh, 
at the same time, all the way last days would like mess around. I think that's going to so when they met me outside of the meetings, I think, like it felt so awkward to say that. Like I wouldn't have said that to my neighbor, even though I'm like, you know, and I I would work on weekends, but I wouldn't actually work. I would stress about work. So I have to make mental boundaries about, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Slight change. And what's interesting is now my dad, my mom explained boundaries to my dad because I threw it out there. And my dad's like, What do you mean boundaries? And then like, he, started, he started explaining it. And he's like, Oh, oh maybe I like that. Maybe that's a good idea. So it's, it's really how if you change yourself, Fighters in boxing were like defensive fighters because they didn't get hit. But I never liked the offensive, so I was always like on the uh, like the passive, and then I thought, or I would go the aggressive.
We'll make it a 30 second vote. I give you the blessing of peace and spiritual and personal growth. Thank you. May you continue to create and explore your inner child out here. May you stand your ground and always be open to the opportunity. It's very nice. Thank you. physical because with people I've talked with I'm a huge sports fan and people I've told it many times but I don't think I, I don't know this meant a lot to me a lot. and I like the order that you put it in sounded like you were kind of kind of adventure yeah live my life like that yeah so and that that's like that's like really I do like non-dominant handwriting. I have a resistance to drawing non-dominant, like either way. And I know that that is everything because like yeah. kids draw. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, they're not trying to find kids. Yeah. So when I um, when I when I try to draw, uh, it's funny because like I'll draw with my left my non-dominant, but he'll put like. Uh, like words, because he knows that like, I'm very like left, left brain, left, left this side. So I like need it spelled out, like yeah. literally spelled out. <laughs> so, you you write very like you write really nice. You said, but you're not sure that that's your thing, right? What? Writing. Writing. Yeah. Um, Is it something you did as? A, what did you do as a kid? Um, as a kid, I mean, I was into literature, sociology. Okay. that question I think it was her first exercise which feels like three days ago but yeah. that like as a kid I did and then you know as an adult I'm drawing yeah. and those answers were a little different Thank you. Good. 
too.
and I was sitting in the back of the auditorium, and half the time it would sound great, <laughs> and half the time it would sound like, no, no, <laughs> don't sing it that way. <laughs> and, um, but Emma had been trained to listen for the composer's intent. So she came up to me and said, I think you're a good composer. And I was like, oh dear God, who are you? <laughs> and she was, I'm Emma Lively. I've worked the artist's way. I've worked the vein of gold. And I'm off the mountain at the little classical music school. Well, I had a prowler uh, that they couldn't catch. Uh, peering in my windows, uh, it was really scary. And I had a doctor say to me, you'll never feel safe in your house again. Because the police were um, not interested in catching this guy. Uh, and um, so I put my house up for sale. I gave away all my animals except one. Uh, and I moved to Manhattan. <laughs> and I moved to a doorman building, the Hotel Alcott, uh, and I went down for coffee at Timothy's and I ran into the library. <laughs> so she said, how's your music? And I thought, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day I went to Central Park to Strawberry Fields to take a walk. And I ran into the of a lively. And then I said, how's your music? And I was like, oh, screw you. It was so painful. You know, the show had gone on. And I didn't like the arrangements that I had. Um, and I felt like my melodies were all trampled in the mud. Uh, so then I ran into Emma a third time uh, at a cafe. And I said to her, what's your day job? <laughs> because I was in here all hours training <laughs> I'm graduating Wednesday with a master's degree in viola performance. I need a day job. And I said, how good is your grammar? And she said, well, I think it's pretty good. And I said, well, I think I need a literary assistant. So Emma came to work for me. And this is where our stories different. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> Well, I don't believe that I would have offered her a 
difficult for me to work. I was trying to bury them as fast as I could. She says, but that's what I said, she's over there nodding, <laughs> that that's what I said, and that it was because she heard that I wanted to work on the musicals, which she had loved, that she came to work for me. So she came to work for me and we worked on a crime novel called The Dark Room, and it was really scary. Uh, and we worked, I don't remember, uh, maybe it was Walking in this World, at any rate we worked together. And when she had been working for me about six months, I said to her, it's time to work in the goddamn musicals. <laughs> I kicked a box that the score was in and screwed it all over a room. Uh, and I said to Emma, you're going to do the new arrangements. Now, Sonia Choquette, that I talked to you about, the psychic, said to me, a woman is going to come into your life who is able to be a wonderful help to you if you will allow it. So when Emma showed up, I said to Sonia, is she the woman? <laughs> <laughs> so I said to Emma, you're going to do the new arrangements. Emma said to me, but Miss Scarlett, I don't know nothing about her And I said, you've been studying viola for 25 years. <laughs> you know a great deal about harmony. And I locked her in a room. <laughs> Emma says, and this I think I'm telling the truth, that as soon as the door clicked, she began hearing music. So, if you go to
And I was a week, I got sober in California. Uh, and the producer's wife said to me, you can't stay sober unless you have a higher power. And I said, you don't understand. I have 17 years of Catholic education, <laughs> culminating in the Jesuits. This is the grease slide to atheism. <laughs> she said, she was very bossy. She said, well, you must believe in something. <laughs> and I thought about it. And I thought, well, I believe in a line from Dylan Thomas, the force that through the green hues drives the flower. I thought, I can believe in that creative energy. So I started praying to creative energy. Uh, and I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to write without scotch. I started that writing and drinking went together. So I said, uh, if it's a choice between creativity and sobriety, I don't know if I'm going to choose sobriety. <laughs> I was a brat. I was a round the clock drinker. I was a brat. And um, she said, there is no choice. Without sobriety, there's no creativity. So I met a, a sober screenwriter. Uh, and she said, put a little sign up by your desk that says, OK, God. I'll take care of the quantity. You take care of the quality. So I put the little sign up. Uh, and then I said, I was, you know, I had a successful career even as a dream. It was like a Rolling Stones kind of career. And um, I was used to trying to be brilliant. You know, I was very But I would rewrite everything over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, trying to make it perfect. And so suddenly they said, you're taking care of the quantity. God's taking care of the quality. That means no more rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. You're just going to listen to what's sort of being downloaded, uh, and then you're going to um, write. So I started trying to let a creative energy write through me. And what happened was my prose straightened out. Uh, and my career began to take off. Uh, and I was two years sober when I met a composer. Any of you know who Billy May is? Swing band composer, Frank Sinatra's composer. Uh, and Billy said to me, here, read this. 
and he handed me a book that was published in 1934 by a man named Ernest Holm, who founded the Science of Mind. Uh, and he gave me um, the little book, and he said, look at it this way. If you have 100 creative forces, and 60 of them are worried about how you're doing, you only have 40 persons left to execute your creativity. This little book of affirmative prayers will round up your 100 horses, so you have 100 horses for your creativity. So I started reading creative ideas. I've never been able to read um, Ernest Holmes wrote a book called The Science of Mind. It's impenetrable for me. I like the little teeny book. And a lot of the ideas that I got from this poem uh, became a bedrock for the artist's way. And then I was living in New York, and I was praying for guidance. And I was led to a little, do you guys remember a store called Enchantment? Yes, it's still there. I'm not sure where it is. It used to be um, in the East Village. Still there. And I went in there, uh, and I found a book called Mr. Babylon. And I found another book called The Spiral Wings. And I read both of them, uh, and I began to be influenced by Druidry. And um, sweetheart. You'll be safe, sweetheart. It's okay. Uh, and I was still thinking uh, that I was supposed to be a Hollywood screenwriter and that I had sort of accidentally misplaced my career. Uh, and I, hit, I ran into Publisher, the guy Joe Bertinos is now at St. Martin's. Um, he was part of Tarcher. Uh, and I would say to him, I want to write a crime novel, but I just got told I was supposed to write a book about gratitude. <laughs> and he said, 
So write a book about gratitude. And that became blessings. So
said, no, I'm writing short stories. No. And he said, it pays $67 a month, I mean a week. And you only have to be there four hours a day. That's just about covering my rent. And I went to work at the Washington Post sorting letters, putting them into mailboxes. Uh, and um, one day, um, the same high school guy said to me, you don't do it right. And I said, fuck you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Editor overheard me and said, At the Washington Post, we do not say, Fuck you. <laughs> and I said, Well, he said, You look depressed. And I said, Well, I just typed tomorrow's section and it sucks. He said, At the Washington Post, we don't say it. He said, I'm going out to dinner. If you think you can do anything better, he went to dinner and I wrote my first piece of journalism. And when he came back, he read it and he said, it would seem I owe you an apology. And so he started giving me assignments. Uh, and I feel like I'm telling a lot of stories. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I got a phone call. They, they, you know, when they gave me the assignments, they would put my name, but they wouldn't put lowly mail sorter. They said Julie camera. Uh, and uh, I got a phone call from a man who said, my name is John Walsh. I'm the managing editor of Rolling Stone magazine. We'd like you to write, we've been reading you. Would you like to write for us? And I said my usual, no, I'm writing short stories. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we'd like you to go talk to E. Howard Hunt's children. And I said, I don't want to. Your instruction is exploitative. Uh, and he said, well, and this was, I knew Woodward, I knew Bernstein. Watergate was at its height. Uh, and the advice that I was given was circle slowly. So I got, I borrowed a car, a Volkswagen phone from an editor, uh, and I drove out their house and I said, do you want to talk to me? I'm from Rolling Stone. <laughs> and they said, Rolling Stone? Far out. <laughs> so I got, I scooped the Washington Post of Watergate. Uh, and the piece got written up in Time Magazine uh, and it became famous. And all of a sudden, I had a journalism career. So I went, 
there was a magazine called We Magazine, which was a sort of Frenchified version of Playboy. And they prided themselves on their writing. <laughs> and they called me up and said, Would you write for us? Uh, and I had founded a feminist uh, group at Georgetown, but that didn't stop me. <laughs> going to be famous. Trust me. And they said, we'd rather you go to New York and write about a man named Martin Scorsese. <laughs> so I went to New York and um, Marty was shooting Taxi Driver. Uh, and he gave me a script to read and I was um, sort of privy to insiders' lore in Washington. And there were parts of the script that were really naive. Uh, and I read the script, uh, and I sat down and fixed it. And the next day I gave Marty the scenes. And um, I should say what happened was that we were invited to lunch at the St. Regis Hotel, and I had a couple of scotches uh, waiting for Marty, who was late as usual. Uh, and he came and sat down, and I thought, oh my God, I've met the man I'm going to marry. <laughs> so, um, I called my mother <laughs> and said, Mom, I met the man I'm going to marry. And she said, does he know that? <laughs> so at any rate, um, I wrote some scenes uh, and Marty shot them uh, and we got married. So, it goes on like this. My whole career is just lucky breaks. Um, but when you say that you have the nerve to walk through them, um, I think when, when lucky breaks showed up, I said yes. Uh, and I think um, Resonates for you, fuck it. 
and use it. I am a talented person. Does that resonate for you? Write it down. I have a right to be an artist. I am a good person and a good artist. Creativity is a blessing I accept. My creativity blesses others. My creativity is appreciated. I now treat myself and my creativity more gently. I now treat myself and my creativity more generously. I now share my creativity more openly. I now accept hope. I now act affirmatively. I now accept creative recovery. I now allow myself to heal. I now accept God's help unfolding my life. I now believe God loves artists. Do we want to keep on with Q&A, or do we want to do another exercise? Q&A again? <laughs> it's like, I take truths here. Any suggestions for how we spend this Sunday evening between now and going to bed? Any suggestions? Well, yes. What's your name? JR. LJR. Little JR. What should I do tonight? Listen, write out what it says. When I um, was praying about what I was supposed to teach this afternoon, I got told three times. You will do Q&A. <laughs> and I thought, oh no. <laughs> so, how, how did you go from thinking it was luck to dying? How did I go? Um, it happened. Um, I think I was walking in the West Village uh, and I was praying for what to do next. Uh, by which meant I was demanding that God give me another movie idea. <laughs> and I heard teach. And I thought, 
called Regina and complained bitterly. I've been praying and I'm getting these marching orders that are telling me I'm supposed to teach. And she said, I'll call you back. And I thought, oh, I pissed her off. She called me back and she said, you are now on the faculty of the New York Feminist Art Institute. Your first class meets Thursday. And that was, it probably was an hour and a half the last time between my little walk and my marching orders and the synchronicity of now you have a faculty, you have a room on Spring Street, you meet on Thursdays, congratulations. So, so I think, well, and no, uh, also um, when I met Marty, uh, you met the man you're going to marry. Uh, that was a sort of a clear knowing. Uh, and um, now I find myself uh, talking about guidance routinely. Uh, and I have a girlfriend who doesn't believe in guidance. I've talked to you about that. Uh, and um, so when I talked to her, I never used that word. Let her think it's luck. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with uh, how to handle an inner critic that is so insidious that um, it kind of pretends to be my friend and it's kind of fun to hang out with. And this is this is new because I, yesterday's exercise, you know, I wrote my critic is mean and awful and evil. And it's easy for me to formulate a response to evil, tell it off, go away. But then the blurts, I was actually laughing as I was writing my blurts, because this bitch is funny. <laughs> and, you know, we'll sort of say, like, come on, you're no good at this, let's go have a drink. Let's get, you know, you don't need to do this. So, so my question is, um, you know, in responding to your inner critic. Um, when they say, let's go have a drink. Not the drinking part specifically. <laughs> <laughs> when, when she just says, you know, um, oh, put that stuff away. Don't, don't take yourself too seriously. I think it's related to a kind of who do you think you are. Sounds like Yeah. So, I would ask your guidance. <coughs> How do I handle my hilarious critic? And see what they say. Um, because I don't have a direct answer to that. Um, Nigel isn't funny. <coughs> Nigel is caustic. Um, and you're pretty good about the Well, I'm not Nigel. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I do believe in asking for help. You know, a lot of times I say help. And um, where is my Little one, you are led safely and correctly. There is no need for fear. You are, I ask, what do you mean goodness flows to me? Because what I was told about this class was that it was going to be greatly good. Uh, and I, I was puzzled and thought, well, we don't have conversation. We, we do exercises. So how can it be that good is going to come to me? And they say, little one, you are led safely and correctly. There is no need for fear. You are on track and doing well. Your need for today is prayer and the ability to speak on spiritual matters. You are led safely and correctly. You will be given words and stories. Your humor returns to you as you write. Do not fear your class. So, um, you are guided as you, uh, how does goodness flow to me? You are guided as you answer. There is a need for Q&A. You are led, do not worry, you are led. You will do Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think trusting to try and do the Q&A, um, I worried um, when I wrote the listening pad, I, I talked about getting guidance uh, and praying for, to listen, to hear, to take down sort of like dictation, uh, in, instead of straining to reach up on high, sort of listening more within. Uh, and um, I was worried that I would be too woo-woo. And I thought Penguin would reject my book because it was too woo-woo. And they instead loved it. Uh, and then it went to St. Martin's, and they loved it. Uh, and I thought, I'm worried that I'm stepping out of the closet. I'm talking about spiritual issues. I'm talking about guidance. I'm talking about how do you translate um, guidance into action. Uh, and then I sat down to read The Artist's Way again, and I discovered that I had stepped out of the closet in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I feel like a lot of the synchronicity, but I'm also such a big skeptic that I feel like I don't follow it. And talking to a lot of people, they've all felt the same way. Do you have a, have you written like a memoir book of all these? Because hearing you like take, just follow them is so inspirational. Because I think back to how many times I could have followed the luck and I didn't because I was afraid of it. Do you have a book where you talk about these stories and listening and following your guidance and the synchronicity in your life? No. <laughs> Can you write them? <laughs> I'd actually love you to speak it instead yeah. of write it because you're, you're funny. <laughs> so, I'm, right now I went to lunch with Joel. Uh, the good Joel. <laughs> Joel Fotinos. And, um, oh, here's a synchronicity story. I was teaching in Birmingham, England, and my new editor, who's going to be representing the Artist Way in England, took the train up from London to Birmingham, two hours. We had dinner. I found him completely enchanting. I had my first romantic dream. Uh, and uh, at any rate. <laughs> <laughs> It was just romance. We were holding hands. <laughs> uh, I went to dinner with Joel Botinos in New York to celebrate that they had bought the book for St. Martin's. And we ran directly into the new the London publisher. We were at a, a lunch down at 120 Broadway. He was at lunch down at 120 Broadway. I got an email from him later that said, I think it might be a sign. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm at dinner with Joel, uh, and he has said to me about the listening path, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm thinking a lot about the listening. And he said, so tell me about it. And that, I spent two years writing that book. Uh, and Emil is a huge inspiration and help. Uh, and um, then um, I went to lunch with him. And we got to the end of lunch. And he said, so? <clears throat> I said, well, I'm thinking about prayer. Because I had prayed, what should I do next? And I got the simple word, prayer. And I thought, this is an answer to your question about spirituality. Oh my God. Write a whole book about prayer? So I'm now writing a book about prayer. Uh, and I'll try and put in more synchronicity. <laughs> <laughs>
wondering how do you navigate that uncertainty of I want to be this I want to get to this point you know is this the right move you know when you get an offer like to, to write for whoever you know how do you just what do you do with that what do you do with that uncertainty that you don't know if that's going to be the thing to take you there? this is um, you're my perfectionist <laughs> uh, and so I think writing 40 pages Asking to be led, listening, walking, uh, doing artist dates. Uh, I have a, it says right in the artist's way that the intellect is actually the enemy of artistry. Uh, and I, my girlfriend who doesn't believe in guidance is an intellectual. And her, her mind is very busy with skepticism. Uh, and I think you have a busy mind yeah. and you need to play. I think that will help. Um, I'm curious about your time in Washington. I live in DC, I work in politics, um, and I find the skepticism and the intellectual sparring to be the opposite of what I need for my creativity. And so I'm wondering if you had that experience there or if you ever felt drained by it or what you have to say about your time in DC. I was in DC uh, from 66 72. Uh, and I left Washington the same day Richard Nixon did. <laughs> 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 I used to drink uh, at a journalism bar uh, called the Class Reunion. I don't know if it still exists. And you may not be a heavy drinker. I found that the reporters that I knew from the post, with the exception of Woodward and Bernstein, um, 
one writer. Um, they're all hero worship under Tatsa. Wow. Who was able to be more freewheeling. Uh, and Sounds like you're in the forest. Uh, and I think um, that you can do covert activities. Um, I would recommend reading The Mists of Avalon. Uh, it's a good antidote for what you're talking about. Horrible guilt. Like I 
they should have been dashing across town in a cab to go to the townhouse that was run by the Junior League to see the jewelry that I couldn't afford. <laughs> and uh, I called a girlfriend, another girlfriend of mine, and said, I feel so guilty. And she said, well, what did your guidance say? <laughs> and I said, it told me to think about teaching. And she said, well, that's your answer. Okay, it's a wrap. Welcome to Recovering My Inner Child. My name is Kawan Saluja. Our first reading comes from ACA's Strengthening My Recovery and very uh, appropriate. I had just come from a uh, Julia Cameron writer's workshop. Uh, one of my idols, one of the people who has made a transformative difference in my life. And one of the things that I came away uh, looking about was how to have fun. And this passage... Um, makes me feel not as bad, I guess, about it. So uh, this is from December 9th century, Fun. We were not taught how to have fun. Big Red Book, page 39. Someone in a meeting once asked what adult children do for fun. In our families of origin, many of us were too hypervigilant to have fun or experience joy. When we look back, we often struggle to remember brief moments of fun. Some of us do catch glimpses of playing with dolls or trucks, blowing dandelions or hollering, let's play hide and seek, you're it. As we begin recovery, the idea of having fun may feel foreign, but we start to learn how important it is as a way to nurture our inner child and our adult self. As we get healthier, we see wondrous joy and freedom in having fun. We start doing things like drawing in a sketchbook, putting together a picture puzzle, coloring, working on a craft, going for a walk, riding a horse, fishing, hiking a mountain trail, skiing, swimming, calling a friend, going to the movies, painting a picture, singing, going to the library, learning to play a musical instrument, listening to music, hugging a friend, going to a museum, sitting by the river watching a sunset, laughing with friends, taking pictures, taking pictures, taking a class on meditation, playing a game. The list of fun activities can go on forever. <clears throat> on this day, I will experience life to its fullest, by being in the present and doing something fun. Um, wow, you know, it's just I came from Julia Cameron's thing. She has this concept of an artist state, which once a week you go somewhere and take yourself out in a solitary excursion. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have trouble with this part, which is essentially to have fun. And, you know, I think a lot of times fun doesn't have to have a point, you know. Um, 
you know, even activities that can be fun can be in work if it's just like, oh, I need to exercise. Well, what if you like it? Maybe you'll find something that you enjoy. Um, and I am definitely going to have to refer to this passage again because it just gives you so many ideas of how to have an artist date, um, which is very important to me. We, we start doing things like drawing in a sketchbook, putting together a picture puzzle, coloring, you know, going for a walk. You know, I never understood how peaceful and nice and really rejuvenating, like, a walk can be. Um, so I, uh, I really, um, you know, and it was just, you know, I think a lot of times it's, spiritual life is a hard life to explain, but it's just very uh, appropriate for it to come now because I'm just starting to realize the magnitude of it. And I remember when I went to Karen, which was a five-day um, treatment uh, workshop, a, a personal growth workshop. And the hour, they put an hour in from three to four to have fun. And that was kind of um, really unnerving. And after five or 10 minutes, it became really fun. So uh, like a lot of things, if you sit, <laughs> things get easier. The next passage comes from Melody Beatty's asking, uh, language of letting go, asking for help. It's okay to ask for help. One of the most absurd things we do to ourselves is not asking for the help we need from a friend, a family member, or higher power, or the appropriate resource. We don't have to struggle through feelings and problems alone. We can ask for help from our higher power and for support and encouragement from friends. Whether what we need is information, encouragement, a hand, a word, a hug, someone will li- who will listen, or a ride, we can ask. We can ask people for what we need from them. We can ask God for what we need from God. Wow, that is interesting. And by interesting, I mean, you know, just a short sidebar, but I think sometimes, sometimes the way I was raised and the beliefs I have is you can only ask God for certain things in certain circumstances, particularly when things are desperate only. Back to the passage. Whether what we need is information, encouragement, a hand, a word, a hug, someone who will listen, or a ride, we can ask. We can ask for people what we need from them. We can ask God for what we need from God. It is self-defeating to not ask for the help we need. It keeps us stuck. If we ask long and hard enough, if we direct a request to the right source, we'll get the help we need. (laughs) there is a difference between asking someone to rescue us and asking someone in a direct manner for the help we need from him or her. We can be straightforward and let others choose whether to help us or not. If the answer is no, we can deal with that. It is self-defeating to hint, whine, manipulate, or coerce help out of people. You know, that reminds me of doing things in a passive-aggressive way or acting helpless. Back to the passage. It is annoying to go to the people as a victim and expect them to rescue us. It is healthy to ask for help when help is what we need. My problem is shame, said one woman. I wanted to ask for help in dealing with it, but I was too ashamed. Isn't that crazy? We who are eager to help others can learn to allow ourselves to receive help. We can learn to make clean contracts about asking for and receiving the help we want and need. Today, 
I will ask for help if I need it from people and my higher power. I will not be a victim, helplessly waiting to be rescued. I will make my request for help specific to the point, and I will leave room for the person to choose whether or not to help me. I will not be a martyr any longer by refusing to get the help I deserve in life, the help that makes life simpler. God, help me let go of my need to do everything alone. Help me use the vast universe of resources available to me. And, you know, it just ask and ye shall receive. And I should say, ask and be willing and ready to receive what you ask for. Um, sometimes the ask is not even in a form of a question. And I think from what I've learned from Julia Cameron, one of my idols, is sometimes if you ask for something and you get it and you're scared, it's probably a sign. And I would, I would suggest more times than not, particularly if it's a contrary action, it's probably a sign that you do need to do it. And that concludes this edition of Recovering My Inner Child. My name is Kawant Saluja, and I'm going to remind myself to pause. God is in the pause. To love myself and to feel my feelings.